Right at the end of Parashas Mishpat in the Torah describes Moshe going up onto Mount Sinai and Rashi picks up in the language of the Torah that there's something very unusual happening about the cloud or the smoke that was over the mountain. So we'll analyze what Rashi wants us to understand, what relevance it has to the nature of the story and also to what it is to be a Jewish person working to elevate the world to become a holier place. So right at the end of the parish, where it says that Moshe entered inside the clouds, Rashi says, this particular cloud, as we'll see, he says this cloud was actually similar to smoke. Now that's strange, because in Indemnit Muvan, it doesn't really seem to make sense. Generally, the translation of the word Onon is cloud. Whereas Oshon means smoke. Not only are they two different things, they're actually opposites. Not only are they different, a cloud and smoke are not the same. But besides that, they're actually produced through opposite processes. Because clouds are due to the evaporation of moisture that becomes cloud. Smoke is the product of fire. So if that's the case, then we have two questions. Aleph. What prompts Rashi here to translate the word Anon in a different way to anywhere else in the Torah? And second of all, what about the Pasuk is difficult to understand? That Rashi has to explain in the first place. I mean, we understand what the cloud is. We don't need Rashi's assistance. Before we can analyze that, we're going to see something else that Rashi says a little bit further as he wraps up the parasha. Vaiti is Rashi Mamshich. Rashi continues to say, That Debushna made a corridor for Moshe in the smoke or in the cloud in order for him to enter. <coughs> Where does Rashi get that from? It's actually a Gemara in Yuma. The Mokah for the Minion is in Gemara. But when the Gemara talks about how uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was in the cloud, it's actually in context of a particular question. The question is, if there's stereotypes vision tzvei psukim, there are two psukim that seem to contradict each other. Ksiv, the one pasuk says, which we're still going to learn later on in Parshas Pekudei, that Moshe could not enter oil moid because there was this thick cloud over it and he couldn't get in. On the other hand, Ksiv, here our pasuk says, that Moshe entered into the cloud. So which one? Could he enter or could he not enter? To resolve that, the Gemara says, the very Rabbi Shmuel Tono, they taught in Rabbi Shmuel's yeshiva, in our parish it uses the word besoich, that he came inside the cloud, which makes a gzereshava, because we know at the time of Kriyas Yamsev, it also says that they came into the middle of the sea. The pasuk is So as we know, to cross the sea, Hashem made corridors through the water, and that's represented by the word besoich. So where the Torah describes that the wall, the water became walls on either side of them. Afkan says the Gemara Shvil over here too. When Moshe went into the cloud on Har Sinai, it is a corridor. So we understand why the Gemara has to get into that detail because the Gemara is looking to resolve an apparent to resolve an apparent contradiction between Psukim. Rashi is not doing that. You can't tell me that Rashi here in Parshas Mishpatim is looking to address the apparent contradiction between the Pasuk in our Parsha and the Pasuk in Pekudei, and therefore he says there was a corridor in the, in the, in the cloud. Because we'll only become aware of the fact that there's any contradiction much later on when we get to Parshas Pekudei, and we learn this reference in Parshas Pekudei. Right? Impossible. 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 Impossible
So logically, Rashi, if he felt that there's an issue of the contradiction or apparent contradiction between two psukim, would have typically addressed it when the contradiction becomes known, which is only in Parshas Pekude. Why would he address it here? So really the question is, why does Rashi feel the need to tell us that there's a corridor for Moshe through the cloud? Muslim Zogin. So we're going to have to say, as those of Rashi Dav Barvonon and Viazoyev Moshe Kikentarain in the Monon, the fact that Rashi feels that he has to address how it is that Moshe was able to walk through the cloud, and the answer to that is that Debishta provided a corridor for him, is It's not because later on there'll be a Pasuk that says that Moshe was not able to push his way through the, the cloud, and that, that's a major contradiction. So there's got to be something right here in the story at this point without any future knowledge that already implies that Moshe should not be able to go into the cloud and is Tamur. That's really strange. Why is it strange? Because we've already seen that Moshe entered not only the cloud but even something thicker than the cloud. Rashi's Mephorosh Freer. Rashi previously in Parshas Yisrael explained the words that say Diverto um Moshe nigash elho arafel that Moshe entered into the fog Rashi explains that Arafel means Moshe entered through three barriers. Choyshech, darkness, Anon, cloud, Varafel, and the fog. Das haste. So we already know from Pasha's Yisrael, in the context of Har Sinai, as Moshe is durchgangen, nit blois durch Choyshech ve'anon, or ich durch Arafel. That Moshe was not only able to get his way through the darkness and the cloud, but even through the thick fog. Rashi explained to us already that Arafel is an unusually thick cloud. And in Parashas Yisroi, Rashi didn't feel the need to tell us how this was possible, how Moshe was able to permeate that thick cloud. Is there fun muchach, which then indicates, as by ben chomish le mikra, is this mikorikin kashenit vi moshe ken durchgein demonon. So then the five-year-old is learning chumash, who sees that Rashi doesn't have an issue with moshe making his way through not only choshech and onon, but even arafel. So the five-year-old says, well, here, moshe goes through the cloud, big deal, okay, we know it's not a problem. Truth is, Anybody's had an experience, you can walk through cloud, you can walk through fog. Even if there's no uh, corridor to get you through. So why does Rashi have to dafka address the need for a corridor in our Pasuk when apparently we didn't even raise the question? So, so in order to understand this, we've actually got to work out what's bothering Rashi. That was one of our original questions. What is not clear in the Pshat that Rashi has to even address the story of the cloud in the first place? So the question that's glaring in this Pasuk is like this. The Torah has already told us that cloud covered the mountain. And that means, as the Hor is given badekt mitnanan. That means that the, it was almost obscured, right? You can imagine the, 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 the peak of the mountain was shrouded in clouds. So now that we know that the top of the mountain is enshrouded in clouds, then we know that when Moshe climbs the mountain, he's obviously going into the clouds. Because I know where the cloud is on top of the mountain, now I know that Moshe is going up the mountain, I know that Moshe is going into the clouds. Why does the Torah have to spell that out for me and say, and Moshe went into the cloud? We know that. We can work it out.
Now, those was the Apostle Chazot Ha'ibar you might have a similar question to say, well, if it's already telling us that Moshe came up the mountain, why does it have to say again that Moshe climbed the mountain? After it had already told us previously that Moshe climbed the mountain, then it was covered with clouds. That's easier to resolve. That repetition makes a lot of sense. The two opinions about exactly when it is that Moshe went up the mountain. And according to either opinion, it makes sense for the Torah to have to repeat itself. Those two opinions are quoted by Rashi. And both of them have good reason why the Torah would have to repeat the information that Moshe is climbing the mountain. Let's go with the first view, which is... The first view is, when did Moshe climb up the mountain? Is given inim togfun matan Torah. That refers to the day of matan Torah. So, daft apostle dosipi chazren, the Torah has to repeat that information because it, so to speak, distracted us for a moment. Because the Torah started to tell us about Moshe going up the mountain and then it digressed to tell us about the preparation before the Torah was given. For example, that the cover, the cloud cover was there for six days and then on the seventh day Hashem called Moshe to the mountain. So because there was a digression, the Torah comes back to its original point as we often see the Torah too, do and repeats itself and says Moshe is climbing the mountain. That's according to the first opinion who says that the Moshe climbing the mountain happens on the same day as Matan Torah. And certainly, like that Sveta day, according to the other opinion, which is that this is now Moshe climbing the mountain at a later time, that the two times the Torah speaks about Moshe climbing up the mountain are actually two different occasions, one at the time of Matan Torah and one a few days later to get the Luchos. So the first time we're told Moshe climbs the mountain, that's straight after Matan Torah. And the one in our parasha that he goes up and into the clouds is given in the Mashvi Noch Matan Torah. That's the seventh day after Matan Torah. Okay, so that was an aside. Because we've raised that the big question Rashi is bothered by is why do we have to be told that Moshe is going into the cloud when we already know that it's the cloud? And we're just saying, well, it's not going to be a similar question about why it has to say that he's climbing the mountain again because there's reason to believe that they're two separate occasions or perhaps there was a digression in the middle. So because the description of Moshe going into the cloud is apparently unnecessary, we have to say that the Pasuk wants to tell us something with, that, with those words. In other words, as the is neat, and therefore it would seem that the Torah is illustrating to us, now we're talking about a different cloud. Earlier we spoke about the cloud that was on the mountain for six days and now Moshe is coming into the cloud on his second ascent, according to the one opinion or even on his original ascent and it's not the same cloud. So the question is, what's not the same about it? So what is this cloud and how is it different from the original cloud? To answer that, Dr. Ashi, Onon Zeh, this cloud described in this Pasuk, from Dem Pasuk, Kimin Ashan Hu, is cloud that is actually more similar to smoke. Okay? What does that mean? The original reference to cloud in previous Psukim and even in the previous parasha, those. Rashi doesn't have to explain what kind of cloud that is, because cloud we assume to be cloud. It was a literal cloud that also represented or revealed Hashem's greatness to the world. 
And that's no different to the column of cloud that used to accompany the Jewish people throughout their sojourn in the desert. Where the Abishtus walked or led in front of them during the day. With a column of cloud. And likewise, and at night it was a column of fire. And that's Onon Kipshutoi. Every other reference to cloud, even if it's cloud that includes Hashem's glory, is literal cloud. Except for this pasuk. We have to say that the fact that the Torah is drawing our attention to the fact that this cloud is the one Moshe goes into, as that says Rashi is illustrating to us, it's a different type of cloud. And Rashi has explained what it is. So he explains this cloud is different because it is more similar to smoke than to a cloud. Okay, so Rashi has to tell us that the cloud is different. Why does he have to say that it's like smoke? Surely there's other ways that the cloud could be different. The Hechach von Rashi as Onan Zekimin Oshan is Fundi Psukim Gufa. Rashi extrapolates how do we know that this cloud is like smoke? Look at the context of the Psukim. In between the words where the Torah describes how Hashem summons Moshe up onto Mount Harasinai, and where Moshe actually goes up on Tarasinai, in between that is the Pasuk, they have the Pasuk that says, the appearance of Hashem's honor at that moment was like a fire that consumes on top of the mountain. Something doesn't make sense about the order of the Psukim over here. Their Pasuk, Surely the Pasuk that describes this fiery appearance at the top of the mountain belongs before the Pasuk that talks about Moshe being summoned up the mountain because then it would be Then it would be, the Torah tells us that Hashem's presence was on the mountain. Then it should describe what that looked like, this devouring fire. And then it should have told us the story that Moshe was called up onto the mountain. That would make perfect sense because then you've said there is the covet of Hashem on the mountain and this is what it looks like. Why are we given the description of the fact that there's Hashem's glory on the mountain, then the fact that Hashem calls Moshe and then the idea that there's this fiery consuming fire on top of the mountain? So, definitely, according to the view that says when Moshe is being called up the mountain, that's a week after Matan Torah has happened. Where Debish is calling Moshe to come and actually get the physical Luchos. And the response to Hashem's calling is Moshe going up the mountain. So then, then it really, according to that view, would make absolutely no sense to pause in the middle of Hashem calls him and he comes with a description of what the mountain looks like, which we should have already known a week earlier. It really doesn't make sense that you have an instruction and then the response to that instruction interrupted by a description of the scene. The truth is even according to the first opinion, which is that when Moshe was called up to the mountain, that is at the time of Matan Torah, to be able to share the Aser Sadibros with the Yidden. 
And as Rashi says, the whole Jewish people were also standing there. But they just wanted to give special respect and dignity to Moshe Rabbeinu. Not that at that time the Debesh is actually yet calling him up the mountain. He's just singling Moshe out. And then when the Torah describes that Moshe goes into the cloud, is not directly a response to Hashem calling Moshe. Hashem is calling Moshe to say, he will be my point man. Later on, Moshe will actually climb the mountain and they're not necessarily related. Even then, when you could justify splitting the Pasuk of Vayikra from the Pasuk of Vayavoy, still it doesn't make sense to split the Pasuk of Umarik Vayit Hashem, that the appearance of Hashem's honor is like this devouring fire. Whereas it should have rather just followed on immediately after telling us that Hashem's covered is expressed at Har Sinai. So because of this unusual structure of the Psukim, we get the beginning of a description, then the beginning of an instruction, then the end of the description, and then the response to the instruction. Therefore, Rashi is seeing in, these, uh, in this flow, Rashi identifies that by describing the devouring fire, the consuming fire on the, on the top of the mountain, that helps us understand the context of Moshe coming into the cloud. Rashi is seeing in that description of this consuming fire, he is seeing a description or at least an allusion to what kind of cloud it is. Which leads the Pasuk to then say, and Moshe went into that cloud. Rashi understands that this particular cloud is a cloud of smoke, the result of the consuming fire that's on top of the mountain. It is similar in its behavior, in its constitution, to smoke. And that smoke would have been produced by the consuming fire described in the previous Pasuk. Now, if Rashi is coming from that perspective, that we're, we're effectively getting a description of what the nature of the fire was on the, or the smoke was on top of the mountain, and therefore there's this, uh, dis- there's this distinction between this cloud and other clouds. This is not just an ordinary cloud. This is cloud that is associated with ocean with smoke. With that, we can understand why the Torah doesn't just say that there was fire on top of the mountain, but specifically fire that consumes. Because really, that doesn't seem to make sense. If the objective of the Pasuk over here is to describe what the vision, what the appearance of Hashem's glory looks like, and then just say, it looks like fire. That's what it appears. That, that is the physical manifestation of Hashem's presence. How does it add? Or why is it necessary to add that it's the fire that consumes? Rashi's approach makes it perfectly clear for us. The issue is not just simply what it looks like, but what it produces. Because the purpose of that description of the consuming fire is to to give us clarity on the following pasuk, which is that Moshe enters the cloud. 
Als der Onen ist gewesen an Oschon, was hat sich geschaffen von dem, was Marikwe, der Shem ist gewesen, Kaesh, where Rashi is showing us that the Pasuk wants us to know the cloud that Moshe enters is the product of the fiery uh, presence of Hashem on the mountain. The Rebbe is the Pasuk Moshe for Madgesh Kaesh Oicheles. That's why the Pasuk doesn't just say fire, but says consuming fire. Because smoke is not the product of just fire. If you've ever been in a laboratory, you get certain very pure fuels that don't produce smoke. Now for an what produces smoke is when the fire consumes impurities. It burns up whatever the particular wick or material, that, the flammable material that it's burning. So it has to be ka'esh oyecheles in order to produce smoke. It has to be burning something in order to produce smoke. If you can even add to this. Historically, up until this point, we know that if there's a divine fire, it actually doesn't consume physical things. How do we know that? Remember from the burning bush. Moshe saw that there was this thorny bush that was completely consumed in fire. And the bush wasn't burning up, it wasn't getting consumed. So it's unusual for divine fire to actually burn product. The Farad after Pasuk Medaik, and therefore the Pasuk has to emphasize here, as do is ye given an The Torah needs us to know that this fire is not your classic divine fire. It is a fire that actually consumes physical things. That's why I produce this plume of smoke that looks like a cloud, but actually it is like smoke. Okay, now that we know that, that will help us understand the need for a corridor. For practical reasons, actually. That's why Rashi has to tell us that Debesh created a corridor for Moshe through this smoky cloud. Why is that relevance? It's because of how Rashi has explained and as a result of what Rashi has told us that there has to be a corridor. If the cloud on the mountain at this point in time was the same natural cloud that was described in the earlier Psukim, it wouldn't be necessary for the Pasuk or anybody to explain to us how Moshe made his way through the cloud. Because as we already know, Moshe didn't seem to have an issue getting through much thicker cloud. So there's no reason to explain it. But this is not an ordinary cloud and it's not the same cloud that was mentioned before. Rather, this cloud is smoky. And the nature of smoke is because of the impurities, the the suit of what is produced in the in in the the, the combustive process. So So what happens when you walk through smoke? You become smoky. And you become blackened from the suit, from the, the smoke. And not only the person, the clothes as well. If that's the case, so Moshe is walking through this smoky cloud, what's it going to look like on the other side? It'll look like a chimney sweep. Verity to me, that raises a massive question. Is it possible that was Moshe's experience? And Moshe arrives in front of the Abishta to receive the Luchos 
blackened from top to toe, in a way that is completely undignified? That's the issue Rashi has. Not how does he get through the, the smoke or the, or, or the cloud, but how does he get through and still look like a mensch? To that Rashi answers, that they made a nice clean corridor for him. And he was able to walk right through this protected corridor inside the smoke and not be affected negatively by the smoke. So now we understand why Rashi tells us it's cloud that is similar to smoke because of the context of the psukim and why we need a corridor because once we know it's smoke he has to be protected there's still other questions though Aleph. first question is why does rashi say it's cloud that is similar to smoke the way we've just described it is it is smoke so why does rashi not just say it is smoke Question two, if a taka is smoke, why didn't the Pasuk just say it? Why does the Pasuk say cloud when it actually means smoke? So for that, picture the scene of what Harasinai looks like and remember how combustion works and will help us understand. It's the beer boze. The Harasinai in Midbar Sinai. Where is the Harasinai? It's in a desolate desert area. If you've ever climbed a mountain, you'll know that the peaks of mountain tend to have little to no vegetation. And it's the peak of the mountain where there's this great display of godliness that is supposed to appear like a fire. Things don't grow in deserts and certainly not on mountain peaks. It's a place which is stone and sand. Again, if you've climbed a high mountain, you'll know this. Smoke occurs when something combustible burns. You cannot light sand, you cannot light a rock. And it's certainly not going to produce smoke. So therefore, for practical reasons, Rashi has to say, It can't be that there was actual real smoke because it wasn't anything really flammable. Now, blows came in Oshan. There was a cloud that appeared like smoke. The cloud produced by the burning up of the rock and stone on Harasinai is given as That cloud was like smoke. Like ordinary smoke, which would be the product of ordinary burning materials. For that practical reason, that it's not actual regular smoke. The Torah won't call it smoke. It will call it, and it will call it onon. It will call it a cloud. Now that we've resolved all of the technical questions of Rashi's interpretation, so we understand that there's a cloud which isn't quite a cloud because it's supposed to represent the concept of burning up things on the mountain, but nothing's really burning. So it's only the perception of something burning because that's supposed to represent Hashem's, so to speak, appearance. And that's why it's a big deal for us that Moshe goes into this cloud and it's a different cloud and he has to have some kind of protection so he's not harmed or dirtied by the cloud. Now let's understand what all of this means in spiritual terms. The wine of Rashi's interpretation. 
the idea that there was smoke on the mountain is something the Torah said very clearly in, last, in the previous parasha Yisroi, where it says, V'hara Sinai Oshan Kuloi, the entire Sinai was smoking, because the Ebishter descended onto the mountain in fire. Okay, so now this is interesting. Yisroi describes smoke on the mountain. Mishpatim describes the same incident and describes cloud on the mountain. Why the distinction? As we've already identified, smoke is produced by the material that is burning. Because the material is material, physical. Then the fire destroys the material state of that object. Is the Kilian Gorms and Titoys so the destruction, the dismantling of the physical entity produces the smoke. That's why you get different kinds of smoke. Depending on what material is burning. If you have something which is a lighter material that's burning, let's say paper. It's going to burn up much quicker. So the smoke will last for less time. So what's going to happen then is the kind of smoke that you have won't be so thick and it will be sparse. So in other words, it won't be like a black smoke and it won't be a thick smoke. But if what's burning is something which is very thick, so to speak, and very materialistic, let's say plastic or fuel, is done. There'll be more thicker, darker smoke. But that's verstandig. That helps us to understand. As in the ocean from jeder Sache is nicker by looking at and assessing the smoke of any item while it burns. It gives you a sense, It gives you a sense of how lowly, how crass the material was. Darker, blacker smoke, more crass material. So as the thing is burning up and effectively disappearing, we're getting to understand it better. Now, Zobidos is Begashmius, in the same way as you have the range of smoke, depending on the materialism of physical things. You have a similar scale that applies in spiritual terms. In the reinterpretation of physical things to become holy or godly items. When we reveal godliness, which is represented by fire, like for example, the, the fire that descends from heaven to eat carbonos, so that's revealing godliness in the world. That consumes and dismantles the sense of self that is so prevalent in the world. And allows the world to surrender itself and to become one with Hashem. To let go of its own identity and become consumed or subsumed by Hashem's identity. That's what smoke represents. When the world is undergoing a process of losing its own identity and being elevated to a godly reality, that is represented in spiritual terms by smoke. And there's two kinds of smoke described in Pashas Yisra and Pashas Mishpatim, which are two different phases of bringing godliness into the world. When we speak about the fact that the whole mountain is full of smoke in Parashas Yitzroi, that's the, the time when the Torah is being given. 
On a yoist, the kiddo, the kus of matanteus, given bederech mila maila lamata. Because the, the experience of divine revelation that happens at Har Sinai is initiated by Hashem from above. As the Torah says, because Hashem descended onto the mountain in fire. So the revelation of godliness is Hashem's effect, Hashem's doing. And the world is as lowly and crass as can be imagined. It hasn't been worked with. Nobody's engaged the world yet and transformed it. So therefore, the interaction between Hashem's revelation and the lowly world produces a lot of smoke, produces a, a lot of indication that there's transformation happening here. So if there's so much smoke, it's an indication the world is really still pretty stuck in its physicality. So it's got to be worked with. You can see there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of conflict happening in the elevation of the world. But when you get to our Parsha, now we're talking about a, a period that is after the Torah has already been given. Which means that there is already an impact that the Torah, the giving of the Torah has made on the world and there's been a refinement of the world. The world is not as crass as it was. It doesn't produce so much smoke. It doesn't produce so much resistance. <coughs> so therefore in our parasha, when the fiery apparition of godliness enters the scene, it doesn't produce that same resisting smoke. But because it's so much more refined, so much more uh, <coughs> sparse, it's no longer called uh, smoke, it's called cloud. In the minute you talk about cloud, you're no longer talking about taking the world, working with the world, transforming the world, and elevating the world with the same degree of, with the same extreme degree. So Rashi comes along and says, yes, it might be cloud, but it's not regular cloud. Even this cloud, which seems to indicate the absence of working with and refining the world, it's also a little bit of smoke. This is not the same as cloud which descends into the world purely Hashem's doing, superimposing holiness onto the world. But this is the product of an engagement, devouring, consuming the world. This is something that actually has an impact on the world. It will actually transform the world. Some of the world will actually be elevated. It won't just have godliness superimposed on it. So it's like an onon because it's not fighting the world, but it's kemin ashan because it's elevating the world. So there is some element of some kind of impurity, some kind of, of gray area, which indicates that the physical matter is being transformed and elevated. Because the objective of all of Torah is that the lower <coughs> reality of our world 
should be transformed into Hashem's home. Is the far on on there on on therefore this cloud? Which Moshe had to enter. With what purpose? So that he could bring the Torah encased in the Luchos down into the lower world, which is the objective. This cloud has properties of smoke. It's got the properties of what Torah will achieve, taking the world and elevating it to become a holy place. But we have a major advantage because the Torah has already been given, which means the whole world has been shifted to a higher reality. So therefore the smoke is no longer smoky smoke that you know, fills the space and, and blows your vision. We based our scholars at Gilui from Matan Torah as it was right at the beginning when they started to give the Torah. No place can be noshen can Allah ban noshen will zayin. It's can be noshen. It's a it's a lighter version of the transformation of the physical world. What does that teach us? Dehirob mehalna ba'vidoseinu. Zayin for another question. There are people who complain. Ma livel advarim matachtainim. What do I have to do with the? Why do I have to get involved? With the physical lowly world. Well, what's what, what I need it for? If I do have to engage the physical world, so I'll deal with the animal world, I'll deal with the plant world, things that are living, that kind of have some kind of value and meaning in spiritual terms. But I really don't want to get involved in things that are inanimate, the lowest of the low. I don't want to get involved in things that don't even show, they don't even exhibit life. They're so lowly. I don't want to be involved in something that is not flammable, which means that even when you introduce godly fire into it, it doesn't respond. That the fire can't catch it. You first got to break it down into smaller components like the Alter Rebbe describes in Tanya. And only then it has a hope of becoming flammable. I don't want to get involved. It's too removed from holiness and spirituality. I, I, I don't want to go there. So the Torah tells us, We have to generate Smoke, which implies elevation. Even in the lowest, most limited, finite, um, inanimate things. Because that's the purpose of the giving of the Torah, to hit the matter, the lowest of the low, and infuse it with godliness. The entire purpose of Torah is not to elevate the easy to elevate components of the world that are already somewhat sensitized, but Dafka to find the parts of the world that are dead and elevate them. And then a person will say, I have another problem. If you wrestle with a person who is lowly or filthy, you also become lowly or filthy. And therefore there's a concern if I'm going to engage the physical realities of this world in order to hopefully elevate and, and transform them, what's going to happen to me? I'm also going to get smoky and sooty. 
It's better just to stay away. If Demis to that, we have the the answer again in our in our um, parasha, in our story. Don't worry about getting contaminated. Debishna makes a corridor for Moshe. And we all have a Moshe. We all have the pure epicenter of our Neshama, which is our personal Moshe. It can never be contaminated. Zivet bleiben rein, it will always be pure, weil sie geht durch Hashvil, because it only travels in Hashem's protective corridor. Zizalem obamna yitu yisboruch, it's always absolutely dedicated to Hashem. So we'll always have a pink to lead inside of ourselves, no matter what we do, where we go, that will remain fine. But you know what? There's even more than that. Noch mehr. Bepnim yisoyinyonim, when we analyze at the deepest level, venoich di keiches hagluyim nit fashmirit von dem Oshan. Even the more superficial, so to speak, accessible, revealed parts of our neshama are also protected and won't be contaminated. It's not only some deep-seated epicenter of our being that is protected from harm if we do what Debeshta wants. It's even our conscious self that will be protected. Because the smoke is not real smoke. It appears like smoke. It behaves like smoke. It's not smoke. It's actually cloud that just looks and behaves like smoke because of what it achieves. In other words, the fact that the world we live in seems to obscure godliness is not That's only an apparition to allow us the ability for choice. But in truth, nothing can obscure and obstruct godliness. If we could see things as they are in truth, we'd never be able to make choices. So the hides the truth, not because the obstruction is real, it's only because it allows us opportunity. And even beyond that, because any obstruction or blurring of godliness Number one is generated by godliness. And number two, for the purpose of us achieving greater connection to Hashem and more of what Hashem wants in the world, is it is actually fundamentally positive and holy in its own right. Yes, of course, it looks like smoke and it looks really scary and it looks like an obstruction. It looks like it's the kind of thing that you can never completely transform because there'll always be coal or ashes that remain afterwards. That's only because that's our perception. But the truth is, that even the so-called smoke is actually a cloud of holiness for him. Because it only exists to facilitate more holiness and light. So it's fundamentally positive. And that's the practical lesson for us. We have to get down and dirty in the world. Engage with actual physical things of the world. And that, that's how we gain access to Torah. So to lock ourselves away in a, some kind of a cloistered community and expect that we're going to have a connection to Hashem only by focusing on our own spirituality doesn't work. We have to engage the world, of course, with the guidance of Torah. And then, we can accept the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu, who is reflected in our personal Moshe. How did Moshe get the Torah? He had to first go through the, the cloud slash smoke. And it wasn't straightforward. He needed David's protected corridor. But he went through. 
Even though it may feel temporarily, and it's important to note superficially, as we're in the dark, we're in a place of, of concealment. It's that concealment, that challenge, pushing through that challenge that gets us to be in Hashem's space, 40 days and 40 nights. And then we get the Torah as the Torah is in its most pristine, perfect way, not as it's, uh, you know, perhaps uh, compromised or contaminated by human intellect. And then it's not Torah that just remains theoretical Torah, but we translate it into the reality of our physical presence and the reality, reality of our physical space. Which is why we go from Pashas Mishpatim, which ends off with this message of confronting and going through the smoke and finding godliness and Torah on the other side. That takes us to next week's parish of that we can create a, a place that contains Hashem within ourselves. We can take physical things, gold and silver, etc., all the materials that are described in the Torah, and transform that into Hashem's home. And that will fulfill the ultimate purpose of creation, which is that the Ebeshter desired that he should have his presence revealed in an unmitigated way, in the lowest of the lowest of the low here on earth, and we'll achieve that through engaging the physical and transforming it to holiness. And that will bring that will bring Mashiach now.